You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! If your friends are nerdy Did I ever tell you the story of the greatest bit of personal revenge I ever had against a romantic partner who did me wrong? Hmm, I, you know, I don't know. Tell me again. Okay, this story happens on the day my daughter was born. So, uh, you know, fret, new daughter, holder, haha, you know, crying, all that stuff. It was a beautiful thing to see my daughter. And um, I had to, at one point, go home to uh, pick, uh, pick something up from home that I had forgotten. <laughs> so I'm walking out the front entrance of the hospital, and who do I run into? An ex-girlfriend. And, um... I like I had known that when when she and I were dating that she would sometimes go to the hospital because they did have a library there that was open to the public and blah blah blah. But she tried to put her charms on me and like, oh I've been that felt so bad that you know we broke up the way we did and I thought we could get together and, and I just let her talk and let her talk and then let her talk and then went like this. I rubbed my left hand across my face showing my wedding ring uh-huh. and goes, Yeah, I don't think my wife would like that and um, neither would my new daughter who was just born today. Look on her face was so priceless that I forgave her instantly for the hundred dollars that she stole from me. It was hundred dollar <laughs> Oh, it was hundred dollar girl. Yeah, and like I, I like the, if my figurative ball size were my literal ball size, I would carry be carrying out my balls in a wheelbarrow at that point. Like, mm-hmm. ding, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was the greatest bit of personal revenge I ever had. Wow. Um, I don't think I can top that. I don't know that I've ever gotten real revenge on someone like that like been aware of doing it maybe i've maybe i've hurt people or made people angry that i didn't know that that happened but i don't think it was the same thing well you know as the old saying goes vengeance is mine saith tim jasmine (laughs) anyway you're listening to the podcast making public transit taking kiss stealing wheeling dealing woo son of a gun it's tim the nerd welcoming you to another episode of friends talking nerdy and joining me right next to me at the table here we have the effervescent professor aubrey i love it it. i love it when you call me effervescence it makes me sound like a like an alka-seltzer type product effervescing Something like, yeah, like refreshing, happy, you know, new, something like that. Yeah. Oh, I, like, I think that's what it is. I could be like as them. fresh as a fresh as a do, fresh as do. Something like that. Now I can look up the definition of effervescent while you let the folks at home know what your week's been like. Okay, that sounds great. So my week has been um, really good so far. Um, I have been having a little bit more focus than I had been having before, um, partially because 
the Adderall shortage is seeming to be over. Thank goodness. So I'm able to take my ADHD medication. So that helps a lot uh, with focus and with um, executive functioning for me. Um, so I'm glad to have that back. And, you know, I was just a little more focused on, on work and volunteer things that I'm doing. And so that's been good. Uh, and then I've just been having a really good time in the evenings. As much fun as I can possibly have. On a budget. <laughs> On a budget, because here's the other thing. Professor Aubrey is now committed to going to Burning Man 2023. Dun, and dun, Amelia. Dun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. And so, um, yeah, that happened. Well, congratulations. So, and that costs money. Mm-hmm. And going costs money. Like getting there and then having food while you're there, etc. It all costs money. So <clears throat> we're back on the frugality plan, where we're gonna frugal it up. Well, you're saying it's like an option, seeing it like it's an option for me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think when the purse strings of your loved ones are looser, yeah, I've, I, yeah, I definitely you benefit from that. I, I, I know. I'm and when they're not, you don't get those same benefits because nobody's getting them. Yeah. Anyway, effervescent, vivacious, and enthusiastic. Oh, well, that's a good thing to be called. Yes, and not giving off bubbles and fizzy. <laughs> anyway, my week has been pretty good too. Just uh, another week with the cats, um, as we've experienced again. Um, happens monthly. Uh, Mimsy's in heat again. Um, which we're having some laughs over here. <laughs> I mean, I hope it's not actually distressing to her. It, uncomfortable. Oh, I'm sure it's uncomfortable. And, you know, I do my best to pet her, give her comfort when I can. And, you know, she's not understanding the words coming out of my mouth when I'm making fun of her, but I can, but I do talk in a voice that I think cats like a higher pitched voice. Um, so she's, you know, it, it yeah, I mean, it's, it, I'm overthinking it probably just, you know, giving cats more, uh, more, you know, than they deserve in terms of what they're thinking. Um, but you know, I, I think I, you know, to the best of my ability, I've been trying to make, things as easy for her as it could be apart from you know keeping her daughter away from her because Annie loves to attack Mimsy especially when Mimsy's in heat (laughs) kind of like an animal territorial thing right yeah yeah (laughs) anyway Anywho, so you're, you had a great week, and what do you think the cats had? An, a mediocre week or a great week, depending uh, on which cat you were? They had a great week. I mean, uh, while Mimsy is definitely uncomfortable physically, I'm sure, with uh, the heat, uh, being in heat and everything, I think, you know, she's definitely warming up in a lot of ways, uh, you know, each and every day that, you know, she wasn't when she first came here. I mean, she's fallen in love with you. 
which I don't really understand because you know I don't I don't think I particularly you know distinguish between them and how I treat them so it's, it must be like pheromones or well I mean they're the way I see it is this I mean like she's more of an introvert compared to her daughter Annie mm-hmm. who's the extrovert so just different personality and I you know think that's what she latched on so um, you know there's that um, but you know in the news what's uh, been interesting and it's kind of a topic we've talked about uh, both on Friends Talking Nerdy and on Home Day with Tim and the Professor we have the biggest factory town in the United States which exports America's number one exporting product out to the rest of the world on strike Hollywood uh, the, the the actors SAG after actors union decided to go on strike and join their writers on strike as well mm-hmm. um, you know like one of the conditions uh, that they were against that the studios offered was uh, this offer that they would pay an actor $200 and I'm assuming it's a regular 9 to 5 actor because not every actor in Hollywood you know is making Tom Cruise money there are actors who also have 9 to 5 jobs Mm-hmm. You know, um, but what they wanted to do is pay actors like that 200 bucks to do like a 3D uh, th- rendering of their face, and then they get to keep that image for perpetuity. Oh. But the person in question only gets 200 bucks one time. Hmm. And with AI being what it is, with the technology already showing that you can bring dead actors back to life. Um, you know, Rogue One. Uh, I mean, Carrie Fisher was still alive with Rogue One, but you know, they had a de-aged version of her. Um, and you know, Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, oh, I forgot the guy's name, the actor who played him. But you know, they brought him back with computer technology right. in a live-action film, and um, that's kind of what the writers are kind of fighting against as well, because AI it can be scary. I mean, like we've had some fun here with uh, ChatGPT allowing it to write the descriptions for our episodes the past few episodes and I think we're going to continue with that but some of these AI programs can do a scary amount of good stuff that you know uh, some greedy executive just may take that over an actual human even though the human would give them much better performance or you know write you a much better script or something like that because you know take a look what's in the news too there are strong rumors that bob Iger, um the ceo of disney who makes over 30 million a year you know but the studios are losing tons and tons of money and can't pay their workers um he it's it's being rumored that he is preparing to sell Disney to Apple. Mm-hmm. For how much do you think? I would have to assume it would be between 10 to 20 billion. Whoa. I mean, because if you think about it with Disney, it's not just the movies. It's not just the TV shows. It's not the content. Because the majority of Disney's money, actually, I believe, comes from the theme parks. And they have the cruise lines. I mean, they got, you know, their feet in so many different, um, you know... There's Disney everything, I think. Yeah, so it's... Like, there's some people that are into Disney, and, like, their entire life is surrounded, or is, like, taken up, 
looking for Beanie Babies of particular characters, and I don't it's think wild. I, yeah, it's as, wild. As someone with a Superman tattoo, I don't think I can knock somebody for devoting part of their life to, you know, an IP. You know? <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying. There, there are people who, like, like Nicolas Cage, named his kid Cal Al. <laughs> He's such a big Superman film. When he had a kid in the 90s, uh, he named his kid kal I would, you know, I got away with Luke, but, you know, you can see Luke comes from a different, <laughs> a, a different you know, Luke's a little different. bit more traditional name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I named him Jar Jar. <laughs> Jar Jar, go to your room, Jar Jar Chousma. <laughs> Jar Jar Chousma. <laughs> But little jar jar. Yeah, we are definitely though sending solidarity to the folks uh, in Hollywood because uh, you know as I opened up uh, talking about this segment, it is one hundred percent true that, that what the entertainment industry puts out is America's biggest export, and with them kind of putting the brakes on things, that could that's gonna you know definitely affect the Los Angeles area, <laughs> you know, um, because yeah. we're not just talking about actors, we're not talking about writers if if film production and tv production has to be put on hold that's the backstage people that have to worry about you know what are they going to do for money you have the catering people wondering what the hell to do you have local food uh like restaurants that are around the studios wondering what they're going to do i mean it's it it's something it's one of the bad parts of a strike, and that's one thing that makes me sick that you know owners are able to use to their benefit to the general public uh, in terms of getting them on their side. Like, look at all the all the trouble these these people who are just so selfish want to do to keep you from getting right. Know, the millionaire actors or billionaire actors and actresses, and you know that's what some. When we think of entertainment, those are the people we think about. We don't necessarily think about the gaffers and the grips and the whatevers. Yeah. Yeah. That's an official thing. No. <laughs> the what, the uh, grip whatevers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, again, we have, uh, you know, we, we want to express our solidarity to those folks out there um, that could, because there are some writers and some actors who probably make less than we do you know and um are, are still uh, you know able to get in film and television and you know i hope that they are able to work out a good contract that you know gives them what they want while you know allowing the studios to still make money i mean the studios have always used the excuse of we're not making money we're poor we're losing money hand and fist because they have accountants that can print print up information in a certain way to make it look like that right it's just like trump and his piles of documents Mm. he's like look at all these documents i have (laughs) yeah it's kind of a similar thing like mm, it's irrelevant you can make any information say what you want to say and so, therefore, some some types of information actually become completely irrelevant, and um, that's probably one piece of information that just doesn't matter. Yeah, um, the thing I'm 
curious about myself, and it doesn't have to do with the strike uh, per se. It has to do with history. Mm-hmm. You know, I look back to um, the 1988 uh, writer strike, which um, you know it interrupted a lot of television. Um, but one benefit of that was that it, that started what is called the spec script boom. Um, a spec script would be like if you or I wrote a script and then sent it to Paramount Pictures. Mm. Um, but, you know, they, they, they a spec script, nine times out of ten, if it were sent in by you and I, we're not a part of the Writers Guild. So, you know, um, that in 1988, that was a benefit. They still had stuff that they had to put out. I mean, the actors were not striking in 88. Um, so they needed something. So a lot of people thanks to the writer strike in 1988, were able to get their foot in the door that may not have been able to do so. Like Star Trek The Next Generation um, had uh, seasons two and three, I believe, two or three was set, was filmed during the writer strike. And, you know, they had a lot of spec scripts. Uh, some of their early best episodes, um, like one, th- one episode was uh, the episode where somebody in Starfleet wanted to disassemble Commander Data because he claimed that Commander Data was not a living being per se and was the property of Starfleet and the whole episode was essentially uh, a trial about what is life and really really good episode so that was one benefit of of a strike uh, of the strike Um, but a negative happened in 2008 when the writers went on strike again and instead of going to the old spec script pile you had a lot more um at this point a lot more executives that didn't have a history in entertainment and only looked at the bottom line 2008 was the explosion of reality shows Mm -hmm. and uh you know I, I, I don't have a dislike for each and every reality show because there have been a couple I've watched that I've enjoyed. You know, um, it's just when you got so many out there, uh, it, it just—it's like disco. You know, I I get it. I I get why people were upset at disco just with the amount of content that was thrown in your face. That didn't make disco bad at all. There are a lot of great bands. And it's like repetitive content. Same stuff. I mean, how many housewife shows do we really need? You know, right? How many bachelors do we need? How many flavor, flavor, flavors of love? Real housewives of the trailer park. Maybe I'll watch that. I don't know. (laughs) But you know, I'm curious, especially now since the actors are striking as well, what this is going to mean for the future. Um, Because again, history has shown that you know the strikes can. Uh, even though they cause temporary pain, do end up resulting in some sometimes unique ways uh, for creativity to occur. Mm. You know, so any thoughts, anything you wanted to say in solidarity? Oh, absolutely, solidarity with all the um, striking folks. Um, will not do anything. I need to get more educated, and maybe you do too, Tim, about. Of what it means to cross a picket line, you know, in today's times when there is no physical picket line sometimes. I mean, we try to make one because that's a, the image of striking, right? It's the people with signs outside a fence. Yeah. But really, to strike, you have to cut off that employee-employer relationship in some way that's similar to walking around a fence with sticks. And I don't, I, I don't know what that is. I get that. Especially in today's world, like, 
I mean, Portland, Oregon is pretty friendly to unions and whatnot uh, compared to other parts of the country. It's not perfect by any means, but I get your point. Like, how how do you support? You know, I, like as as a fan, like I, I wouldn't say don't go to a movie now. I mean, it, but you know, maybe you don't. Because I, I, I don't know. Because, like, on the one hand, the actors are still going to get paid for what they've already done. And if there's something out you want to see, that's going to benefit them. But I also don't want to necessarily financially support some of these studios that are behind this, you know? Yeah. Um, so then, what are you left with, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, ultimately... For me, I would probably err on the side of supporting the artist. Um, because, again, we're talking about stuff that's already been filmed. You know, it's not like they force the actors to, you know, complete filming during the strike or anything like that. that you know, but, um, yeah. Uh, they, I mean, I say this like I go out much to the movies anyway. <laughs> it's been a while. I think the last one was uh, John Wick 4. Oh, at the Laurelhurst. Yeah. 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 That's been a while. Great choice, though. Um, yeah. I love the Memories. Wick series. I love the John Wick series. I can watch it. <laughs> I can watch it and mostly sleep through it. Mm-hmm. Like I do most films like that. Most Every time. once in a while I get hooked on one and it's weird. And I'm like, why did I like that? It's usually Jason Statham's in them. <laughs> yes, that I, I got her addicted to Jason Statham. Mm-hmm, yep, because he looks just like Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah, if, if Jason Statham's training regiment was greasy food and weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it is, but, you know, he can get there. With, with work. With good training. Yeah, he one can get someday there. he can have a piece of this damn action. <laughs> anyway, um, last week we introduced the topic about talking about the pros and cons of affirmative action, and we had a great pro con article that we had uh, were able to use as the uh, basis for uh, the discussion here from helpfulprofessor.com. Um, you'll find that link in our show description if you wanted to check it out yourself. Um, you know, if the least we can do it for them, you know, putting out the work like this that we we are using is to, you know, promote their work as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, what we're going to do here is wrap up that conversation and um, just have some closing thoughts. Again, we're just two regular people. We're not uh, proclaiming to be experts on this topic. Or I mean, like if that. you've been listening to our show, you know the quality of analysis you've come to expect. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, we are doing this for you know starting the conversation. I mean, why you know why start a podcast if you don't want to talk or get people talking? You know, and I, I think this is a topic that, you know, if it does spark that conversation, that conversation nine times out of ten is going to lead to good things. Well, I don't know. Do you have any empirical evidence of that? <laughs> I would... Uh, stop. <laughs> no, I know. See, this is what I'm saying. Like The pessimist, Tim. <laughs> the pessimist, the... Um, Nobody likes you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves you, Tim, but that's not what I was saying. I was, I was more just saying, like, 
these we're not um, qualified to really render any kind of opinion but we will and we'll preface it by saying we don't know what we're talking about right it's it's hard I think it's really hard to be a any kind of journalist not that I'm a journalist but any kind of journalist today because um, you know because of that yeah totally agree um, we're just, again we're just two regular people um, and we hope you enjoy our conversation here we are again not proclaiming to be experts on this but it's it's a good talk to have it is a good talk to have so as we do we're gonna go through the pros and the cons last week you were the cons do you want to be the pros i want to be the pros you're gonna be the pros this week so start off with pro number one okay pro number one is that income flows into disadvantaged communities by keeping families out of the low socioeconomic status trap, affirmative action can reduce the likelihood of households being in such dire financial straits that they are unable to pay their bills and end up homeless. There's also another way in which affirmative action reduces homelessness, and that is by combating discrimination in the housing market. While a landlord would not be able to legally refuse to rent to a person or family of a minority ethnic group, this can still be done covertly. Affirmative action makes this kind of discrimination impossible. Um, so, I mean, obviously a big pro to having affirmative action is hopefully moving resources from higher socioeconomic status folks to lower socioeconomic status folks. I mean, that I think that's kind of the purpose of any kind of program, government program like this. It's going to try to maximize its benefits, right? Yeah, because the benefit is, I mean, the more people are able to pick themselves up from their current socioeconomic level and raise on up that ladder, they're making more money, they're spending more money, they're paying more in taxes, you know, that benefits everybody, you know. Now, realistically, does that mean every single person, if given the full resources, would all go to Harvard? Of course not. You know, there are people that would still mess it up and whatnot, but... I, again, I, I you know I would like to think, especially when it comes to education, which you know started this whole conversation off because of the Supreme Court ruling. Um, you know, I don't see why you know opening the doors and allowing as many people as possible a chance at an education, especially at some of the higher echelon places like your Harvard, um, it would be a bad thing. But we continue to want to, you know, in the case of Harvard, have the old boys club. You know, your, your grandfather went to school here. Guess what? You're going to school here, too. Instead of, you know, looking in, uh, you know, what if, I mean, we didn't even bring it up last week, but, you know, what if there was a white kid from Appalachia that, was just smart enough and, and should have went, you know, that they, they were they grew up disadvantaged as well. And I'm sure you can speak to that a lot more than I can. Um, you grew up in the area. Um, but, um, but, 
yeah, there, it, 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 affirmative action is meant, and, and things like affirmative action is meant to level that playing field to ideally, in a perfect world, keep people honest when it comes to, you know, like housing. You know, like a, land, a landlord shouldn't, you know, unless there is definitive proof that a per- with the person that they are contemplating moving in is bad, like if they have a previous rental history and it's all evictions, that's a, re- a legitimate reason to say maybe not. But just I don't like them because they're black. Fuck that guy. Right, and and I think that's what this article means when it says this can be done covertly. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be done by somebody saying, "I'm not going to rent to you because you're black." It's going to be. Um, somebody setting somebody not even advertising where black people might see the advertisement for example or um, when somebody calls and says I'm looking for an apartment and they say okay what's your name and they have an um, afro-american sounding name they are just like "Um, no there are no vacancies but if you call and have a white sounding name they tell you about all the vacancies yeah so um and they still do that. It is still possible to call up employers and have that happen. Or call up landlords and have that happen. Um, which is just kind of weird that people wouldn't feel some moral responsibility not to be that landlord. There should be no landlords, period. Um, uh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, unless you have the money to buy the house and live in it, in it, in it yourself, an individual person having investment properties, I, I don't like. Anytime I've ever had someone like that as a landlord, it has always turned out bad because, you, you know, they uh, aren't millionaires. And, you know, if they got three or four different rental properties, that's, they still want to pay, you know, like water and all that stuff. And they got other things that they need to pay. And, but that means that they're going to be a lot more like, like that, like that, uh, when you were first considering an apartment, uh, renting a house in Vancouver, mm. uh, from, oh, right. from that landlord. And I, it's that type of vibe. The guy who could be, because like you were, a, a, a full-time professor and yet he found a reason to say no right you know and just the way he looked uh and the way he acted i you know i I could tell that even if he had said yes it would have been a problem yeah yeah he's so there are the landlords that get too involved in your life which is that kind Mm -hmm. of landlord he was um, which you don't want anyway so i'm glad that that, you know it's a, a bullet dodged really in my opinion um, and then you've got the ones that will not fix things, um, that don't pay the water bill when they're supposed to, yeah. and get the water turned off, or you know, all kinds of bad things can happen when you are at the lowest rung of, of the housing market. And I think what I want to say in response to you saying that you don't think people should have investment property, I mean, I think that's a pretty radical idea. It's a pretty, pretty. Um, the opposite of where most people in America come down on something like that, which is that the small landlord is what you want. 
No. You want everybody to own property. We want everybody to be a landlord. And if everybody's a landlord, then we all have risen up. But what do you see any problems with that? Again, though, like the upkeep on a on a house is, as you know, is not cheap. You know, and you, when you have these people that you know buy two or three different homes, to, uh, you know, as investment, you know, they just again are they're just not good people. They think about the money and only the money, and then, but it's they're making so little, I guess, that you know, if you know, like you did have to. Uh, say hey can I you know pay the rent a little late this month paycheck uh, came up missing or something like that blah and I'm just throwing it out they would throw a fit because you're hurting them <laughs> you know I, I don't know right I just, it was sort of like the co- you know when COVID was around and landlords were saying people aren't paying their rent because there are all these government programs that say they're going to pay the rent but nobody's paying the rent right they weren't getting paid during COVID Mm-hmm. It was only after the eviction courts opened back up that they started get, receiving money that they had been owed since 2020. Yeah, that's a different story for a different day, I guess. Yeah, yeah land, landlords in general. Yeah, I mean, I've just had some bad experiences. I mean, because it boils down to, to, you know, if you are poor, the reason you have some of these landlords doing some of this stuff is that they know their tenants don't necessarily have the money to get a lawyer to fight them. Right. You know. So, all right. Before we rant about landlords and how evil they are. <laughs> that was number one. Yeah, let's how about talk about let's the try first to rant con. less. Loss of meritocracy. Affirmative action policies necessarily take factors into account that are separate to each person's merit and direct suitably f- f- merit and direct suitable suitability for the for the role. Because of this, where these policies are used, the application and selection processes are no longer merit meritocratic. Excuse me. A loss of meritocracy leads to less efficiency in the workplace and more accidents in critical fields like healthcare and engineering. And I am I I will be as very kind as possible to this as I can, but they don't have the proof. If there is proof out there, I'm willing to see it, but I'll bet you it's not. Because, uh, again, we are talking about just giving opportunities to people that normally wouldn't have that. And, you know, the meritocracy they're really talking about here is, I don't get my my special white person bonus anymore. That's the meritocracy we're really really talking about in this. Right. Um, Right. Many people argue, and I agree with them, that meritocracy never existed that it was all code words for for white supremacist ideas and people. Um, and I don't... Th- you know, I think the assumption underlying this is that there's no way that a diverse group of people are going to be able to, to do the job that it's always going to be white people who are getting a kick down. It's because 
you know, how could any black person be as smart as a white person? Like, it's basically what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, again, like I said, I mean, the article in question with the cons, there was not uh, like an addendum or, you know, like the reference number or anything like that. So um, it's tough to really take that last claim seriously without any sort of facts um, to, to back it up. But again, I strongly suspect that the, the evidence they, that they would show to back this up is, would simply not be true. Or not be what they are claiming to be. Mm -hmm. So, how about you dive into the next pro? Okay, pro number two. Better education across society. Employment discrimination against demographic groups can happen directly within the job market by denying jobs to potential candidates. But it can also happen indirectly by limiting education opportunities. Affirmative action in universities that is quotas for disadvantaged groups, helps equalize education opportunities, which in turn leaves less possibility for indirect discrimination when applicants are applying for jobs. Better education also helps communities in a variety of other ways, making an overall boost for society. Yeah, so... um, Employment discrimination can happen directly and can happen indirectly. And you can decrease the incidence of indirect discrimination by um, using affirmative action tools like quotas. This is sort of the world before the Supreme Court sort of eviscerated affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't all of these pros and cons we have to look at through the lens of today which is um, we can kind of see when these policies go away as they're going to have to go away when we see we'll be able to do the kind of empirical data gathering and comparison I think to see is it true like we know that affirmative action does increase the number of minority students that go to colleges we, we know that but we know it like as compared to some pretty old data yeah I mean it's not like with this ruling like schools across the country are like Fuck it, back to segregation, you know. It, and and I have a <laughs> right. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I worry about it in uh, Mississippi and Alabama. That's the tough part. Yeah, I mean, it's and and you know, taking away something like affirmative action, like I mentioned last week, um, you know, really t- makes it harder for people that are being affected by discrimination to fight it. Not impossible. Not impossible. Um, especially in the ridiculous areas of Mississippi to where, like, the Supreme Court ruled against a Mississippi voting map. And the state of Mississippi, after the court ruling, essentially gave the Supreme Court the finger. Mm. You know, so there are parts of the country that, you know, there would definitely be some problems here. But uh, Right, and it would have to trickle in, right? Yeah. In Portland, we would not change anything, right? We would continue to use whatever 
whatever we wanted to use in our diversity, equity, inclusion efforts and have somebody come stop us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you come stop us. If you think this is unconstitutional, you come sue us. What? Say what? <laughs> yeah, bring your lawyers down here and sue us. Use all your resources suing us. We don't care. It's going to take decades. We're going to continue using these tools. And it's going to continue to piss you off. And that's the bottom line, because Professor Aubrey said so. <laughs> okay. The bottom line with Professor Aubrey. Yeah, don't piss her off. <laughs> All right, how about I go on to the next column? That's great. Frustration and resentment. When qualified candidates are excluded from a role or opportunity due to affirmative action, this can lead to a sense of frustration with society and mistrust in institutions. This can reduce social cohesion. Similarly, disadvantaged groups can begin feeling resentment towards the beneficiaries of affirmative action policies, which can eventually extend to all members of the demographic groups that could potentially benefit. The resentment can stoke societal conflicts like, for example, racial tensions. And (laughs) one, like in a job interview, for instance, they're not, I don't know of many job interviews that would say, hey, Aubrey, you didn't get the job because of affirmative action. You know, they're just going to say we weren't. You weren't the right candidate for for us at this time. We thank you for applying, and if uh, there's a future opening, we'll be glad to talk to you then. But they don't say anything to anybody anymore. Uh, but yeah, it's just it, it, the whole point of the article here is this whole idea of you know the some employers everywhere or, or schools everywhere. You know, you can't come to this school because you're white. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that. Okay, so people that feel this way, feel frustration and resentment towards the idea of affirmative action, I can almost guarantee nine times out of ten are just being upset for the sake of being upset. Or because of white supremacy. That's exactly, I mean, same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess any kind of majority culture is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you. That this con is not really a con, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, because yeah, I'm sure there are. <laughs> this is why employment discrimination is so hard to prove. Yeah, because you can be there can be 50 applicants, and you know they've got to choose among some reasonably similar applicants, and then if they give a diversity bump, which some places do which are no longer going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the kind of policies that are going to be challenged. And those are policies that have resulted in the hiring of more diverse workforce. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, the fight goes on. It's just a little bit harder to fight now. Um, let's, But let's think of something positive here. Let's go to the next pro. The next pro is reduction of income inequality. A large part of the income inequality in society is correlated with demographics, with some ethnic groups, for example, consistently earning less than others. These patterns are often the legacies of historic policies that have intended for those groups to be discriminated against. 
by providing better education, job opportunities, and access to institutions to historically disadvantaged groups, affirmative action can improve income inequality across society, leading to a healthier economy and communities. You know, I wish somebody cared. I wish that really was a pro because, you know, I don't think people want to improve income inequality across society. I don't think people care about a healthier economy or healthier communities. Well, I think the numbers have also shown, too, that, you know, there are some white people that don't support stuff like, you know, social uh, programs like welfare or something like that just because it would also benefit minorities. Mm-hmm. Right. Like anything that would benefit historically disadvantaged people, you don't take advantage of. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in a perfect world, yes, it would. I mean, you know, opening up more opportunities to better education or better opportunities in theory would allow people to have that better, the easier step up the socioeconomic ladder uh, than they normally would. Um, but, you know, in the world that we live in today, uh, yeah, you just never know. You just, because even in the most progressive of cities, you could have that one person in that position of power in some small place that is still a jackass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And you have whole states of them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like Alabama and Mississippi. Not to harp on Alabama and Mississippi, but Alabama and Mississippi. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. That doesn't mean every single person who lives there is evil or anything like that. I'm not implying that, but um, but it's kind of like the argument that guys have to understand of when women say guys are bad or, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's because when women are saying that, they're, most are not necessarily stating every single male alive is bad and evil. It's just as a general rule, the numbers show guys are generally bad to women, you know, so the guys have to be able to say, well, you're right, <laughs> you know, even though I'm not a part of that group, you're right. You know, anyway, look at me. <laughs> no, I agree with you entirely. Yep. All right. What about the next con? The next con, let's talk about it. Stereotyping of benefiting groups. Where affirmative action policies and programs are prominent, they can lead to the blanket perception of the groups, which they benefit that they are less competent than candidates who got their role without this extra benefit. Notably, this stereotype often extends to all members of the targeted group, including the many that themselves got their role without the help of affirmative action. So the reason we can't have affirmative action is that... The the people (laughs) who... Don't like it. The reason we can't have affirmative action is that the white people would be racist. <laughs> so <laughs> right. let's continue to give the white people their power so they can, they can continue, continue to be, to be racist. racist. And that's how we're going to solve. They do, oh, they, 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 yeah, they, they want their racist to be more racism to be more internal and not external. <laughs> you know? This is the dumbest fucking con. I mean, again, uh, you know. 
with something like this, if uh, if there were footnotes, that would have been one thing in terms of leading to possible evidence. And I, I guarantee there would be no evidence of this because, like I said, you know, the only, the, yeah, they don't want affirmative action, so they don't have to outwardly be racist. That's all this con is, you know. That you know, so I, I can try to defend the article, but I can't really. I mean, not, this con is just fucking dumb. If they, mm-hmm. if people actually think that, then fuck them. You know, right. I mean, they were going to think that anyway. They already thought that, which is why it was so easy for them to glom onto that idea that this person's dumb because they only got it because they got special treatment. Fuck you. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's like if you do wait with the premise that racism exists, yes, there's no problem. We don't need affirmative action. So these people are saying, we live in a world in which racism doesn't exist, in which we can be colorblind. And we know that that's not what happens. Yeah, and like one common thing people will say is, I don't see color. And that nine times out of ten, not even nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, because when people say that, they're using it to just stop the conversation. They're not taking the time to dig deeper into the issue of, you know, exploring actual racism in this country and the fact that, you know, you have a certain skin color, your your experience with certain, you know, groups of power is going to be a lot different. You know, I mean, poor white people can get a very small taste. They can get a taste, but they're not going to get the full experience. Right. All right. All right, let's go on with another pro. Yeah, before I say fuck the rich, fuck everybody. <laughs> Eat the rich. Yeah, where are the torches? Okay, pro number four, improved confidence and self-esteem. Even when direct discrimination is restricted, the legacy of hostile policies can leave groups and communities feeling like they are not truly a part of the greater society. Affirmative action allows more people to feel valued and recognizes a wider range of contributions. This leads to an overall greater feeling of integration among communities, making the society as a whole more cohesive. Definitely agree. Um, You know, I mean, we brought up the, I brought up the example last week of, you know, you and I being among the first you know, generations of uh, students that were to where desegregated schools were just the norm. And I think, you know, I, I can, I know from my experience, you know, having that immersion in different cultures was definitely a benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the fact that, you know, I am able, uh, you know, I'm an imperfect human like everybody else, but I do feel I am able to step out of my shoes more to hear someone else's side. You know, and I think I got that because of the fact that, you know, I was exposed to different cultures out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the thing is that that's how we see change, too, is through children and generations. It's a generational harm, and it has to be generational change that addresses that harm. And um, what you want to see is people saying what is segregation what is integration what does any of this mean it's all irrelevant 
I, it doesn't even pop in my mind, so I can't even have an opinion about it. Because mm. this is just the way the world is. We're all just together. And I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. To, when we see the generations slip over, we'll always be towards, hopefully, more freedoms, more love, more respect for each other. And I think the older I get, the more I do realize the notion, and it's tough to do when you're young, the notion of understanding that just because you're not going to see the fight that you're fighting necessarily win in your lifetime doesn't mean you stop fighting. And because, you know, we can look back in our lifetimes and see that there have been a number of amazing things that we've seen in terms of, you know, benefits that, that minorities have had that, you know, weren't there before. Um, you know, like the LGBTQ community, I mean, in the 80s, much different portrayed in the media, especially compared to how it is today. And, I mean, that's definitely progress, but that doesn't mean you stop fighting because there's always a fight that's going to happen. All right. Yep. Shall we do the last con? Let's do the last con. All right. I bet it's bullshit. Uh, probably. <laughs> Let's take bets. Who thinks it's going to be bullshit? Raise your hand. Me. I think that's everybody that's listening to us right now. Yes. All right. Although a reduction in equality. Although affirmative action policies aim to increase equality, there are many circumstances in which they will have the opposite effect. Affirmative action may make social inequality worse if being a member of the demographic that the policies target become a major or significant factor in success. In these situations, the winners are predetermined, creating a new stratification of society. Again, yeah, it's bullshit. Um, but... Again, like I said, for, you know, education, for schools, for um, jobs, for getting an apartment or something like that, there you're not going to be told you're not getting this position because of affirmative action. Well, and also, it's not like affirmative action actually resulted in benefits that you could take away. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was, we're going to the article here um, because there was one part uh, that we, that we um, didn't put on the list here to read that I still thought was uh, funny. Um, I'll just read the last. There was one extra con here, but uh, alienation of deserving individuals. Qualified individuals who have lost out on an opportunity that they have qualified for due to affirmative action may begin to feel that they are playing a rigged game or that society is stacked against them. Oh, poor baby. Yeah, it's like... I'm so sorry that you have to live in reality. Yeah, I mean, a white person being giving a... Sp- given a small taste of what everyday life is for a minority in this country and they just can't take it you know um i again you know again one i don't think employers or, or anybody else that i've mentioned before is going to outright tell somebody you're not good in this because of affirmative action so this whole rash of people getting upset by being personally burned by it they're just assuming 
you know, like you know, it's affirmative action that that Shelley got that got hired, which was bullshit because Shelley applied and got the job on her own, you know, whatever. And the fact that she was a woman helped, you know, the the, the numbers game, you know. Let, so they they could have a diverse workforce, you know. Um, like, would I? You know, going back to the Harvard example, I mean, you know, it was shown in a court case that Harvard was using, um, you know, the, their minority demographics more as a token thing. You know, they were, tar- you know, they, they would have black people, but from more than 70% of them would come from really, really rich families. So that is something to think about, you know, and that is wrong what Harvard did because they still kept it a very closed door system. You know, you got lots of money, you're part of our family. You know, when the idea of affirmative action is opening the doors to people that wouldn't normally have it and giving them a shot because you give them a shot and they pass society wins folks, because again, they make more money in theory and they could buy more, which helps store stay in business and hire more people and they get to pay more in taxes. That is the whole idea, in my opinion. I of think, working people, yes. Yeah. We have to have working people. In the capitalist society, we must have working people in order to have a system that functions. And this, I mean, the in, in ideally, everybody should have an equal shot to be able to move up that ladder. Not everybody will. Not everybody wants to. There are people that are just happy with a nine-to-five job and coming home, cracking open a Pabst and, you know, petting a family dog. That's their idea of life. But, you know, I think the best thing America can do is to allow people that didn't have that opportunity for a chance. A chance. Because it benefits everybody. And I'm not, yes, economically, but in tons of other positive ways as well. You know, just the fact that, you know... Joe at a particular job gets to interact with a new Muslim woman employee. He'd never met a Muslim, and I'm just throwing out an example, but if he never met a Muslim woman before, he could get to know her and, you know, get to understand someone of that culture, too. It's it's something, to, it's a beautiful thing. Everybody wins. Everybody wins that way. You know, and just... A lot of the cons in this article were just uh, essentially pointing to the fact that the people that have had the that have had the advantage for the entirety that this country has been around are upset at the fact that they're losing that advantage. And when and they you know it's a double talk, it's a double speak. It's like that I'm disadvantaged because I'm used to be advantaged. And now I'm not anymore. Yeah. I mean, we do, again, want to be careful of places like the Harvard example. Like, you know, the I, I don't want to support any organization that would have, you know, token numbers up, but, you know, fudged, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, but... Uh, so it's important to keep in mind that you know even though the affirmative action is a good thing you can't assume that everybody's using it in the way that it was intended um, so you gotta you, you can't be so in love with your party I guess <laughs> your party's ideas that you're blind to the, the negatives yeah alright I think that's enough of us rambling for this week. What do you think? I think so. I think the people have gotten their share. 
Indeed, folks, and this is a much deeper, deeper discussion um, than, um, you know, than, you know, like the professor and I are would are going to be able to really dive uh, deep into. And I just strongly encourage you to, you know, one, be better, and two, try your best to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Understand their situation and just understand that there is nothing wrong with giving people that have been routinely historically you know have put have had barriers put in front of them let's let them have a bit of a head start mm-hmm. you know because um that's a better america that's an america i want where everybody has an equal shot to to make it yep me too Tim. me too yep yeah, because I think it was John Stewart who said, um, but I could be wrong, and I'm paraphrasing here. But what's there's nothing that's wrong in America that can't be fixed with what is right with it, with America. Hmm. So, all right. Anything else you want to say to our lovely audience out there? I just hope you have a fabulous week. Fabulous, fabulous, folks. <laughs> fabulous. All right. So I think we'll wrap it up here. Thank you for starting your week with Friends Talking Nerdy. Each Monday, we'll have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu. Farewell. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.